And I flat out said to him, like, why didn't you hire me <laughs> to help with this? <laughs> and he said, you know, I, we don't have the time to Welcome to episode 184 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. It's Saturday the 23rd of September. I hope you've had a great week and you are well and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. I'm your host Ian Truscott. I'm no rockstar, but with this podcast, I share the marketing street knowledge I've picked up on my journey from sysadmin to CMO with the help of some true rockstars, my guests and chums, who I hope will inspire the marketing rockstar in you. Come say hello. You can find us at rockstarcmo.com or on the socials. We are Rockstar CMO on X and LinkedIn. This week, Jeff is away, so welcome back Matthew Woodgett of Go Narrative for a chat about discovering your business story. And our resident content marketing guru, Robert Rose, prepares for content marketing world with a cocktail in our virtual world. But first... We need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Right, time to welcome back Matthew Woodgett, the business storytelling guy. Matthew is a technologist, marketer and storyteller whose marketing pedigree spans over 20 years. And as you'll hear, he's an author and he heads up Go Narrative, where he helps marketers and entrepreneurs reduce frustration, increase reach and drive growth through using story structures. I've always had fun with Matthew. It's his third time on the show. I really hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome, Matthew, to Rockstar CMO FM, or I should say welcome back, because I think it's your third appearance on the show. We were last on an episode 174. So folks that don't know you, Matthew, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I'm a, a corporate dropout. I spent the, <laughs> spent the best part of 20 years <clears throat> officially in the corporate world and actually grew up in the corporate world. My father joined Intel back in, in the 70s. And so I was cutting my fingers on daughter boards before I could ride a bike <laughs> and spent a bunch of time working in the corporate world as well <clears throat> and realized that my approach to challenging the status quo, asking a lot of questions and ultimately um, uh, bringing even more ideas to the any idea party resulted in um, political issues for me in corporations because, uh, you know, it's the best <laughs> to keep it, keep your head down and, and not keep raising yeah. your hand. Um, yeah. Realized that I was going to be much more effective outside of corporations. And when I left Microsoft back in 2016, when I re resigned on February the 29th, I thought it was it would be a fun little <laughs> poetic, you know, if I could have my anniversary of le leaving once every four years. And um, yeah. I, I asked... 
I asked myself the question, like, why didn't I do this sooner? But uh, mm. ultimately, so many bi- huge learnings through the through those years that paid off in dividends when it when it came to running a business. And now, run Go Narrative. We help tech mm-hmm. companies get attention, be heard, sell more, cut through the noise by using this what can seem like a magical thing, this storytelling thing that can be quite mysterious and, and opaque to to get going with. Uh, using that to drive action and so yeah. storytelling for action is obviously something you've you've heard me talk about before yeah. and th- what's the point in business if it's not to create some kind of change in the world some kind of action and storytelling is the same so they're they're a match made in heaven uh, but there's a lot of roadblocks that people experience when they try getting into that so i've decided to to spend my uh my the the prime of my my working years helping <laughs> other people cross that get over that hump and and tap into that power without having to actually become storytelling experts themselves nice yeah nice and um i think last time we chatted um you'd published your book and then you'd rewritten it (laughs) and republished it so um have you left it alone is it still out there and and you haven't decided to rewrite it again i have and in fact i've actually i even spotted a a kind of a typo recently when i was going through it because i use it I use the, these are the frameworks yeah, yeah, that we yeah. use every day. And uh, it's, it's so funny. I actually recently on a working on another client project and I, I hit my own mental roadblock and I was like, what am I doing? I pulled out the playbook <laughs> inside of the playbook. It's like, boom, got, got to yeah. got there. So no, haven't have, have managed to hold off on, on doing any additional, additional rewrites so far. Nice. Nice. And, and for the listeners that didn't hear you back on episode 174, what, tell us about the book. What's it called? storytelling for action playbook nice yeah and i'll include a link to that in the show notes and we talked a lot about your book and your past method and by the way sometimes i think i love having you on the show because i love the topic but also sometimes you say things i think we're brothers from another mother because when i was a kid i mean your dad was at intel my dad was doing mainframe computing for the government and we were playing with, when I was really little, we were playing with punch cards and paper tape. And that was, those were our toys when we were kids. Anyway, uh, that might show a little bit of an age difference. As, long, anyway, as we, long as it wasn't vacuum tubes, then you were okay. No. <laughs> Lord, no. <laughs> anyway, we, um, in the past, we talked, and we talked about your methodologies. But for this conversation, because it was something um, we, you kind of alerted me to um, over email when we were staying in touch. Um, I want to dive into this idea that you you were talking about about business story types, and I saw that also on your blog. So tell us about those and how that sort of fits into the methodologies you might have shared with us previously. And I'll include links to your previous episodes with us so that people can come up to speed. But tell us about business story type. Yeah, so I was you know, 2012. I was hired to be chief storyteller for Microsoft Dynamics, and mm-hmm. one of the first things I did try and channel my storytelling passions into the work environment was look for some frameworks and structures and all i could really find on the business side was help around either presentations or help around personal brand your own personal story Mm. both of which have value but i was looking for something that would be applicable to all the content we were creating and the relationships that we had internally trying to get other teams to work with us, working with our partners, getting our partners marching to the, to the drumbeat that we wanted them to march to, and ultimately to driving uh, success for our customers by mo- helping them move along uh, in their journey, in their story, and in a way that in- included us. 
and I, did, I couldn't find anything. So I played this mm. sort of story interpreter for several years. And as I was doing that, I started to have this fantasy about starting what eventually did become <laughs> Go Narrative. And yeah. when Hell's Bells focused on pushing away the entertainment story types, right? Coming yeah. up with what eventually led to the storytelling for, for Action Playbook. And back in the end, sort of Q3 of last year, I had a few conversations with folks, mentors and long-term sort of colleagues and fellow travelers in, in, in storytelling <laughs> and marketing, including Jeremy Epstein, who founded Never Stop Marketing and has had a variety yeah, yeah. of CMO roles, including he was the first CMO for Sprinkler. And mm. he was uh, developing a, a, a stump speech, a sort of keynote for his, his leadership team. And I flat out said to him, like, why didn't you hire me <laughs> to help with this? <laughs> and he said, you know, I, we don't have the time to educate you on our business. We don't have the time to spend a month briefing wow. you on our business. We don't have a week, right? And we, we don't even have, you know, you know a, a couple days. And I said, look, to be perfectly fair, if you want somebody to help you, then they really need to understand your business. And if you want outside yeah. counsel with a different expertise, such as storytelling, then there's going to have to be a little bit of, of, of digging into those things. But that being said, I did hear him loud and clear. And what it mm-hmm. was is at the time, the main offerings that we had were focused on going through this workshopping experience up front. And for mm. our entrepreneur clients or our you know, our sweet spot is kind of in the uh, the sort of five to 20 employees uh, two to ten million dollar kind of revenue helping them get to that next level we do enterprise yeah. work as well for obvious reasons and my connections in that world but one of mm. one of our um, entrepreneurial clients that we make a good example for the audience here is we spent a month doing workshop, virtual workshopping, taking them through the storytelling for action experience, right? With me coaching them on all the elements and helping them, helping move them forward. And they wanted to learn how to do this and they wanted the help doing this. And we got to the end of that. And then it was like, okay, so now we want to take the next step, which is have you help write our strategic narrative. And then we spent another month working on that, going through our creative processes, metaphor development, all this fun stuff. So two months yeah. and strategic narrative at the end of it, which they loved. And I think one, one of our quotes, I think on the websites from, from game of uh, game of trades and yeah, I saw that. And ult- it ultimately gave them exactly what they needed. But what Jeremy's issue was, was, you know, I'd want something quicker. Right. And to be fair, my question to him was about was about presentations. But back in December, I asked myself the question, what could I do? How could I come up with a much more condensed kind of uh, sprint? Right. Mm. That was maybe a month or sort of a, a month long. Right. At the most. And at that same time, I decided being with it being the holidays that I would take a a break from what I've been focusing on with these, these frameworks. And I'd go back to the popular frameworks, the popular entertainment frameworks, yeah. like the hero's journey, the three types of story, the seven types of story, the 12 types of story, um, the mon- heroes, the monomyth, Joseph Campbell's monomyth, all this stuff, right. Just to kind of wallow in it and to see if I could find any <laughs> kind of a d- inspiration or different ways of thinking. And yeah. it was during that process that I had this epiphany and it was, look, 
all the companies we've worked with are going through change and have challenges mm. that they're seeking to overcome, whether it's um, doing a better job for their customers and improving those experiences, or they've done something different and they need to communicate that, or they've got this brand new product, all these different, all these different elements. And as I was looking at that, I realized that what we had is this sort of change management flow where uh, a, ch a challenge imposes change on a company. You have to adapt. You have to potentially change direction, big or small. You learn through this experience. Mm -hmm. And from that, you can innovate. You can do things in new ways. You can make those experiences better. And, and you, then you have to talk, make sure everybody understands what these new things are. And then ultimately, if you're really good at going through this, it demonstrates this growth mindset, this ability to ask questions and to challenge your own thinking. And then you find yourself challenging your own thinking, introducing new challenges, and you're kind of back at the beginning. And I, yeah. and I was like, well, there's an opportunity here for characterizing these steps. And it, yeah, it was yeah. at that moment that I had that, that second epiphany, what, which was I could come up with these story types to make it super easy for folks to start telling stories without even thinking about storytelling, just focusing on where yeah. they are and, the, and having this theme. And so that was, that yeah. was the inception of how that came about. That's fascinating. There's so much there, always so much there with you, Matthew, anyway. But I also think it's that that challenge, as you said, for any entrepreneur, for any uh, consultant, for any advisor, is that period of discovery is always like you're sort of crossing the chasm with the with the um, with, with with the client because they're paying f to teach you kind of thing, aren't you? That discovery phase is always a bit of a of an icky bit right until you get onto the actual work so i think it's really interesting that you've so you've shortcut that with this kind of sort of boxed discovery almost haven't you with these questions i think that's really interesting exactly and so you take yeah, you, yeah. you take this the, the the assessment is 14 questions it actually yeah I, what i had i got it down to 30 questions and i thought i wasn't going to be able to get it down any further and yeah. uh, then started looking at other ways that people approach personality tests. It's kind of like an organizational personality test. Yeah, yeah. And being a certified coach at the Y Institute, I've been not only yeah. aware of all of them, my you know, you know, kind of coach on that as well, but it's, yeah. it is the start of, of understanding what your type is. Right. And the beauty of yeah. it is it's, on, it's only 14 questions. <laughs> it's, yeah. How long did it take you to complete it? Oh, well, what I thought was interesting about it, and so we'll go on to me going through the process. I thought the questions were really interesting and they made you think. So I think you could, some, at some points I was pausing and thinking about them. And the three questions are, sorry, the three options for each question were not all naturally related in some way, right? They were quite um, diverse. So therefore you're thinking, am I one of these or am I one of these? Is our problem this or is our problem this? And, it, and so I, I like the thought-provoking nature of the questions you asked, and they were not in any way banal and easy to answer. You had to give them some thought. So I, and I think for, if I think about how long it took me, I think, I think around 10, 12-ish, you're thinking, mm, how long is this going to go on for? And 14 was pretty good. So, but what I will include a link to it in the show notes because also I've got to tell you, man, what I really liked is when you're going through these things, an online questionnaire, you're waiting for the point which is that I'm invested in this now. I've given you my information. I really want the answer. And you're going to say to me, I'll give it to you if you give me your email address. You know what I mean? And you get that, that moment of, of, oh, God. But you don't. You, you, you share what the assessment is without actually having to, um, without having to exchange any personal details, which I thought was very generous of you. So, yes, yeah, so I, I, 
you asked me about that. That was my feeling about the question. I would encourage anybody to give it a go. And also, what I also liked is, I can imagine from your perspective, having looked at the questions, is is you've identified something in your customers, like what's your ideal customer profile, and that those questions seem to be certainly driving towards it. I think that you would, I think with that questionnaire, you would quickly also find the people who aren't for you as well as the people who are for you, right? Is if these questions don't make any sense, you probably haven't got the problem we can solve. Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the if you go back to what you were saying about the the questions being very different, yeah. that yeah, that was the I was very naive in the first iterations of the the the, the assessment that I put together when it, it was back in sort of January February, and I took some clients through it. I took some my, my mentors through it. Some fantastic mm-hmm. um, Norbert, Norberto Garcia, um, who's uh, uh, another ex Microsoft, um, um, and is, um, um, is now at Akamai Networks, provided mm-hmm. some absolutely fantastic feedback and, and really helped me. Yeah. He's, he's a brilliant mind and helped me really kind of like challenge my my thinking on it. And I was realized I was being quite naive in the, in, our, in the questions and in, in giving people kind of too much freedom. And mm. what happened was. Oh, everybody wanted to say that they were a certain way, right? Uh, I took Jeremy through it as well, by the way. Everybody wants to be, wants to see themselves as having a growth mindset. Everybody wants to see themselves as being innovative, yeah, right? Yeah. And so that yeah. we were skewing to a couple of these answers. And so I realized what I had to do is I had to give you some tough choices. <laughs> yep. And so that's yeah. why you, you have that experience when you go through it and we also then give you the opportunity with the, the, the there's two styles of question, right? And the second style being mm. the, 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 how much you agree with these things that your business might be going mm. through. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the, the giving your email thing, right? The kind of, cause it is a yeah. lead, look, it's a lead magnet. If, if you like yeah, the experience, yeah, if you put your details in, yeah. like there's an opportunity for yeah, us yeah. to have a, potentially to have a relationship. Yeah. All the data, by the way, shows that, actually putting the lead gen form first gets the best take rate. I guess it's because oh, wow. you're kind of forcing people to do it before you can go through experience. Yeah. And I spent a lot of time thinking about how I wanted to approach this. and ultimately said, you know, screw the data, <laughs> right? Mm. And this is maybe one of the things that got me into trouble in corporate America as well. <laughs> and I said, what would I want how would I feel if I was going through this experience? And ultimately, like the two-pronged answer to that question, one is I want to see what the results are. I want to see if you're giving me something that makes sense before I agree yeah. to take the next step, right? Yeah. And the so that was the first part. And then the second thing is once you've seen that, there should be enough value there for you mm-hmm. to say, you know what? I'm prepared to trade my yeah. email for the seven days of application chips. Yeah. And so that's literally once a day, we send a very short email. And if you put your email in, you'll be getting these. And it's three yeah. tips per day. How do I apply my story type? Think about it this way. Do yeah. this, do this. Practical, 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 right? Um, and yeah. so that's ulti- that was the story behind why the, you, the form is not, we're not forcing you to fill out the form and hopefully you'll see the yeah. value. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I really like that, and I also um, the the way you're describing the questions that's absolutely right. They were they were not comfortable questions, and there wasn't an easy answer. It was you have a problem, don't you? 
And is it one of these problems? And it's like, no, I don't have a problem. I've got a growth mindset. And no, I'm going to have to pick a problem. And yes, we definitely have that problem. And then you go down that path. And I thought that was really interesting. And yeah, I got all clicky on the website. So then I, <laughs> but I will, in, I will subscribe to the, uh, to, to the tips and I shall let people know how I got on with that. So it sound, that sounds great. So when we talk about these story types, how many, how many of you discovered there are? So there's, an infinite number of stories, right? Because we have our own story. Even the slightest change between your story and my story, even though there's some similarities with our fathers, for example, our overall stories have have all their own unique aspects, right? And I was cognizant of the risk of getting too detailed. In fact, there is a... Hmm. It's like... Again, it's an entertainment framework, but there's one that's like the 99 story themes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you would have to be spending all day, every day focused on the themes of stories to have that be something that you would spend a lot of time with. You mm-hmm. would have to be, even as a, even as an, even as an author, author <laughs> authors have a story in them. And yes. it, yeah, yeah. having yeah. written two science fiction novels, I can share the fact that it's true. Yeah. Like when you sit down and you type or you, however you, with your quill, write your story, <laughs> it, it just comes to life. It's like the, the characters mm. are there that your brain is, it's because of theory of mind, which is why we, we can do mm. this. Um, and, and so there's all these potential, you know, different themes, but, really like how, how useful is that going to be? And so I wanted to come up with something that was going to be really discreet. That was going to be really easy mm. to understand. That was going to be so aligned to business that it made complete sense. Right. And yeah. the seven types really reflect what that kind of change management experience is like. It's, it's loosely mapped to change management. Mm. It's not a one-to-one. Don't beat me up on it. I'm sure you can poke mm. all sorts of holes get from a change management perspective. <laughs> But ultimately, (laughs) um, I try, I try, but ultimately, (laughs) ultimately the the seven really made sense. And it is from all Mm. of that experience, all all of our clients, all those previous years experience as well. And the seven types Mm. are the challenge, the pivot, the catalyst, innovation, improving experiences, changing perception and growth mindset. Nice. So you can, yeah, yeah, yeah I'll, like I said, you, you, you're exposed to a yeah. change that forces a challenge on you. You've got to deal with that. You yeah, have to yeah. change direction, pivot. You learn things yeah, as a part yeah. of that experience that you can pass on to your teams, package up and sell to your customers. Yeah. You can they use yeah. it to innovate. You can use it to improve those experiences. But if you do that, then you have to change the perceptions because you've got this new thing and people don't know. And then ultimately, if yeah. you're really good at asking all these questions, you find yourself in a growth mindset and then pushing it back, you know, to the beginning as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the uh, the the way that the way that I answered the questions as as a, I'm the CMO of a an acquisitive company, right? Spotler Group, and we we're always acquiring new companies. It's constant change, so therefore our story is changing. We now have a CRM in our portfolio, so that changes our story a little bit because now we've got a CRM. So um, that's the way I was answering questions, and absolutely, you know, the answer was bang on. Where 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 our challenges in turn educating the, the world, telling our story that's now different from everything else. So I enjoyed the process, and, and like I say, I'll include a link to it in the show notes. Um, I'm just realizing the time because you know what me and you are like. This is, this is absolutely <laughs> so. I want to get on to um, one of the other points that I saw on your blog, 
And I thought this was really interesting because storytelling gets a lot of bad rap, doesn't it? And content marketing these days and, and all that kind of stuff. But you've tied it into customer experience, which is a lot more grounded and, you know, people feel that. How, how, and I, and I, I read a blog on it, a blog post from you on it, and I'll include a link to that in the show notes as well. But so you're relating these stories to customer experience. How does that work for you? The cus- your cu- your, yeah. Yeah, yeah, your customer experience, and, and, you know, as you mm. listen to this show and you think about your customer, you think about their experience, and you think about what's happening today, right, in their experience. They are making decisions, they're dealing with problems, they are learning things, they're finding things, they're communicating, they're going through all these things. They're, their mm. experience, right, is a journey that they're on. And we use this word journey a lot in business, right? The customer journey and moving people on the journey. But ultimately we're all on our own journey and it's about finding a way to join our customers on their journey because they are living their story. They are making their story every day. Every authentic story you tell, I tell, anybody listening to this show tells, any story we tell, whether it's to our loved ones, our friends, our <laughs> colleagues, any story that's happened in our life was at one point an experience we were going through. And mm. it can be hard. It can be tough. And respecting what people are going through is so important because it enables you to approach business with empathy. And when you do that, to find better ways to connect to your customers. And recently I was actually, some friends are went to remodel their house and ended up having to yeah. re- rebuild their house and all sorts of stresses, all sorts of problems, all sorts of, you know, things that they're going through and decisions and money and all this kind of stuff. And they're living in this little apartment. They've got two boys, young boys and a dog, a big Labrador. And so it's, <laughs> you know, chaos in their house. And, yeah. and I said to them, I said, you know, one day you'll look back on this and, your, the kids will be saying, remember that time we lived in that crazy yeah, little apartment? Yeah. And so you're, you're making these memories to your kids. And ultimately, you're going to have this wonderful home that you're going to be living in. And so just mm. try and focus on the this being a, a unique experience that you're never going to have again and just find ways to enjoy it. And you can take that and you can think about your customers in the same way, right? And by doing that, you empathize with them. And when you empathize mm. with them, you can really figure out what they need. You can do better product development. You can create messaging and marketing that is more useful and helpful mm. and do that in a way that therefore enables you to build that relationship with your customers. And so when you th- think about storytelling, think about the customer experience, think about the authentic yeah, stories yeah. that exist within that. And you know, a really great place yeah. to start is case studies, case stories, right? Because that's yeah. the tip of the iceberg with this stuff. That's, well, I mean, and but yeah, I mean, I, I, lo- I love that you've thrown in case studies into the conversation there because normally they're pretty banal, right? They don't tell the story because the story, the real story has problems, has we had this challenge with the vendor and we resolved it together and customer support came to our aid and this went bad and that went bad. But it ultimately went well. What tends to happen is it goes from we had a problem and then they came and fixed it and everything was wonderful. Right. So I the heavens opened and yeah. <laughs> angels sang. <laughs> So I think, and I think if we think, I, I like to think of case studies as a story, as you say, is what was the journey that somebody went on to find that solution? And that solution involved us as one of the characters in that, but also obviously the, as us, I mean, as a vendor, um, obviously involved the customer as well. So it should, it should be their story. I love it. 
I love it. Um, I'm going to, um, I need to move on a little bit here. Um, I don't, I think you're probably going to stick to what you're, what you stuck to the last two times I asked you this question. But as you know, we have the a regular feature, the Rockstar CMO swimming pool, where we chuck all the, the snake oil, the overhype trends. I haven't got my script in front of me <laughs> that we, ch- that we chuck into our portal to marketing hell that we call Rockstar CMO swimming pool. Last time you chucked in the Hollywood sign and the entertainment frameworks, which you've referred to a couple of times in this discussion, not completely with disdain, but you, you don't, you know, you don't, you, you like, a different way of telling stories when we're in business. Are you sticking with that? So yes and no, because as, <laughs> as I mentioned last time, I think there's value yeah. in repetition and that yeah. is, it is true. And I, I don't, I don't hate those frameworks. Absolutely not. You know, <laughs> but they're the wrong tool for certain jobs. Mm. Uh, yeah. So the yes is, I want to say to everybody who's listening, yes, throw the Hollywood sign in the pool Think about yeah. your customer experience and the authentic stories that you could tell as a starting point for stories, not looking at some, you know, how to tell stories like, you know, Pixar or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I also have a bonus because this just drives me absolutely crazy because it's so lazy. And I saw it most recently uh, from GoPro, right? And so did you know that GoPro have released their hero black camera right 12 number 12 right Right. um i I love gopro by the way it's definitely a a tool in my arsenal when it comes as a photographer Uh, so apparently the gopro hero 12 black or black 12 i'm doing free free promotional marketing from they should send me a free gopro (laughs) but but i'm about to insult them so uh, apparently it's their best ever (laughs) <laughs> this drives me crazy and yeah, yeah. if you've done this then you should be hanging your head in shame and you should be <laughs> saying i was lazy that day i don't know why yeah. i either had the idea or approved this it's like yeah. it should be your best product it's your newest it's your it's like saying latest mm. and greatest right and mm-hmm. so our best whatever fill in the blank ever throw that in the pool of course, it should be the best one. And again, go back and think about the customer experience, right? What can you get from right. that to talk about rather yeah, than the yeah. fact that this is the, it's our product and it's our best product ever and therefore you should buy it. It's like, no, I think I'll stick, yeah, stick yeah. to the 11. Thank you. You haven't sold me on this. Yeah, you don't. I mean, a lot's being said about the latest iPhone, but I bet you they didn't say it's the best ever. <laughs> they have, they have said, I'm, I'm pretty sure they've used that recently because I remember thinking Jobs would never, oh, never have said that. <laughs> oh, oh, then it, then it's going bad over there, then isn't it? And it really is. And then I thought I'd ask you something different for a change uh, because um, I like to share a tune on the show every week. And uh, this week I thought I'd ask you what song gets your Monday morning mojo working, marketing mojo working. Ooh, so we're we, we listen to a lot of music in this house. Both mm-hmm. my wife and I have always been just into all sorts of different types of music, all sorts of different genres, mm-hmm. and uh, and somehow we've managed to birth a drummer. Or brought, you know, nice wife birthed him, but um, uh, <laughs> brought into the into the world a drummer. <laughs> And he's he's eleven years old, and he uh-huh. he he's been he's been a Twenty One Pilots fan since the beginning, and it's got that their all their material pretty much buttoned up as an eleven year old. Uh, wow! And recently, I started sharing with him another one of my favorite bands, 
and that band is Royal Blood. Mm-hmm. So they're English, and also maybe you're aware of them, and and they're very different. It's very different drumming to Twin Pilots, and it's really great rock, and it's a really great way to get that Monday morning going. And we will often play songs first thing <laughs> in the morning, and ideally yeah. loud ones. Figure yeah. it out. Figure it out. Figure it out. First, their first album. All, they've got a ton of great stuff, and that's that's one yeah. folks maybe will have heard of, and it's it's very accessible. Um, and uh, I think it's actually it's not even got the e next to it for the explicit so, lyrics, which we just recently had to tell you <laughs> about. But yeah, figure it yeah, out. Well, all right, by Royal Blood. And I, um, yeah, normally the explicit lyrics um, the, um, warning on this show is normally because of me. So the <laughs> music, right, so we're fine. All right, mate, thank you very much. And when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? GoNarrative.com. Splendid. And Splendid. Go, go ahead and do the, the first button on the webpage is discover your story type. Discover it, figure it out, mm-hmm. and go through that seven days and then book a book a story assessment. By the way, if you book a story assessment call after going through the, the test, you actually get mm-hmm. a free deliverable as well. Uh, you get Ooh. our story report, which includes your unique story fingerprint as well. So. Very nice. Very nice. All right. Well, I'll include all of those things in the show notes. And otherwise, folks should come and find you and go narrative. Thank you very much for appearing on the show again, Matthew. It's always a pleasure to catch up with you. I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody, for listening as well. Thank you, Matthew. And that was a little bit of Royal Blood. Figure it out from 2014. Now that will get your marketing mojo working. I will, of course, include all the links and all the good stuff Matthew shared there in the show notes. Right, it's that time of the week to wind down in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and join Robert Rose, Chief Troublemaker at the Content Advisory for a cocktail and a marketing food. Vegan Robert, what are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend. And am I so glad... <laughs> that you've actually managed to bring the spirit of content marketing world to the bar. I mean, it is, you've got vendors here, when you've got a complete conference, you've got a, you've got people giving TED Talks in the middle of the stage, you've got, a, oh, it looks like a DJ over there. I mean, you've got the whole, you've, you've managed to replicate the entirety of content marketing world in the bar here, and I hats off to you for being able to do that i mean the whole bar is orange it's it's great (laughs) i have actually been tempted to have the bar our virtual bar relocated to um cleveland (laughs) we can just uh, and actually do it in person but yes yes we're having a conference here this week just to prepare you to give you that environment so you're ready for next week because where are you well that is robert we are at Content Marketing World, and if you're in Cleveland, you will be alone because we'll actually be in Washington, oh, yeah. D.C. <laughs> it's Washington, so, D.C. this year, isn't it? <laughs> yes, that's correct. Um, so we'll be in the in the wonderful town of Washington, D.C., and well, wonderful town is always a I was gonna say, bit of a weirdness with, with Washington, D.C., because... Yeah. You know, as, as, as we all know, that's where the nonsense happens, and so... Yes. How much of what we're actually making of nonsense is to be debated, I suppose. But um, we're there nevertheless, a great uh, city, and we'll be there. 
mm-hmm. um, and for celebration of the upcoming content marketing world uh, and the, what you've done with the bar, I have a <laughs> wonderful cocktail for us. We're calling it a cranberry orange mm-hmm. uh, whiskey sour, which of course, orange being the definitive color of content marketing world. Yeah. And uh, mixing together the sort of uh, the red and the orange uh, all together of cranberry and orange. And it's very simple to make. This is uh, basically three parts of your favorite whiskey, whatever mm-hmm. that whiskey may be. I'm going to suggest probably a, uh, a, you know, a bourbon or something that's a little mm-hmm. more on the less smoky side. Let's put it yep. that way. But, but whatever whiskey you like, mm-hmm. then cranberry juice. Mm-hmm. And that's one part cranberry juice. And then you have one part freshly squeezed. This is the important part. Freshly squeezed orange juice. And then a little bit of lemon juice actually in there. And then actually, if you want some fresh cranberries in there to garnish it with or to make it look pretty, you certainly can. And it's best if you do this over crushed ice because it just makes a really cool look. But of course, you can do it with regular ice cubes as well. And, you know, some people like to... Put a sugar rim on the glass. Um, I like to avoid sugars as much as possible yes. when I'm drinking. drinking. <laughs> um, so, and I think yeah. the whiskey has plenty of that. Uh, and so, I think that doesn't need it. But if you like a sugar rim on the glass, you can obviously do that prior to making the drink as well. So, nice. there you go. That is what we call the cranberry orange sour. Nice. I like that. And the orange theme. And you, are you guys at the um, at the Washington uh, Expo Center or whatever it's called down? We are it's... indeed at the convention center. At the yes. convention center. Yeah. I used to, I used to work mm-hmm. just around the corner from there. I had an office down there when I lived in the US. It was very, uh, very nice. Well, I mean, you're not a big fan of Washington DC, are you as a city? I don't think. If well, I lived there for three years. And so oh, wow. uh, yeah. I, you know, I, I came to hate it fairly extensively, yes, but um, <laughs> mostly because of the people, not because of the actual yeah. city or anything like that. It's just, you know. I, yeah, I did too. too. When they, when, when, I'll put it this way. There's a, there's a saying here that says that Washington, D.C. is Hollywood for ugly people. <laughs> um, and so, which is true, but it doesn't refer to their physical appearance. It refers to them as ugly, just ugly people. People. Um, they're just mean. It's a mean-spirited place. So. Uh, but you brought the Hollywood. That's good. I uh, yeah. Yes. I, I did two tours. Um, so I was there in the late nineties, and uh, and also we were there fairly recently, five or six years ago. So yes. Um, sorry, I just poured in my um, the most English of uh, whiskies, which of course is your uh, Hendrix Gin, uh, and uh, so I am. Sorry, I'm making this drink using only the ingredients from my desktop bar, and I got distracted there by your view of Washington, D.C. Um, and then mm. I, um, the lovely people at Fever Tree, who don't sponsor this show yet, have offered me the most English of cranberries, which, of course, is the cucumber, uh, that they've blended ah, yes. into nice tonic water, which I shall put in here. So The white cranberry, as they call it. Yes, absolutely. Yes, my drink has got very little orange in it, I have to tell you. Mmm. That is delicious, Robert. And what are we calling that? We're calling that the uh, the orange cranberry orange sour. Nice. So to celebrate the orangeness that is content marketing world, which is fantastic. That is right. That is exactly right. And All if right. you do the if you do it in the right way and you pour it in the right way, you get a nice layered effect where you get the orange at the bottom and the cranberry juice on top, which kind of floats mm. there. It's a beautiful little layered drink for you. Yeah, what you might not know is every week I layer the gin and the tonic 
very subtle. You can't see it. <laughs> it's a very, it's a, yeah, it's, it's it's subtle. It's subtle differences in the clear. Uh, yeah. 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 So, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm guessing where we're going to be for these, but let me know where are we drinking these this week. Your well, your guess is probably correct. We have to be in Washington yeah. D.C., of course, celebrating all things. Although, mm-hmm. if you want to move it to Cleveland, I mean, we could go to Cleveland <laughs> again. But, but um, yeah, we could, we'll, we'll go to Washington D.C. and spend our time <laughs> where we'll be spending all of next week. Yes. Sort of celebrating with all of the content marketing practitioners nice, out there. Nice, nice. And um, when conversation, well, I was going to say moves to marketing, when conversation continues to marketing and you're not too exhausted from having talked about it for the whole day, what are we talking about this evening, Robert? Well, you know what we're going to talk about is an interesting thing that I've noticed. Um, and it came out of the work that we did on our content marketing career and salary outlook, mm-hmm. um, which was research we did about two months ago that really looked at where content marketers were in their career and their salary and what they're looking at in terms of you know the threat of AI and all kinds of stuff. And what it made me think about was the difference between love and passion. Uh, and And I'll explain what I mean by that, which is we often look at uh, our jobs, you know, and we hear a lot about, you know, follow your passion and mm. you'll find happiness, et cetera, et cetera. And equating our job with, you know, whatever it is our, our passion is. And, you know, very, two very quick stories, right. Sort of illuminate the differences between loving your job and having passion for it. Um, the key is, is that, so, so one of my friends, uh, in, in speaking of Hollywood worked here in Hollywood and she, uh, worked as the director of digital content. She was part of the biggest movie studio in the world. And I'll let you guess which one it was. Um, and so she was most passionate because she got to create content for some of the most iconic media brands in the world, right? I mean, just, you know, clearly blockbuster sort of brands that she got to create all this content for. But she had a passion for it. She was working 70 to 80 hours a week um, and basically you know, this is an industry, by the way, where people are known to yell at each other as a forms of communication. <laughs> it's kind of the normal form of communication is to yell at each other. She was expected to work all the time, even holidays. She rarely took a few hours even for herself. And so five years later, a divorce later and some relatively serious health issues later, she was completely burned out. And what she discovered was is that she didn't care for her job nearly as much as she thought it cared for her. Um, And so that is one problem. Then there's the opposite problem, which is when you hate a job that actually does love you. And I know that sounds weird, but another example, which is another friend of mine, and maybe let's call him Mike. He works for one of the biggest software, boring software, but big software companies in the world. And again, I'll let you guess which one it is. Um, He's been at the company more than a dozen years. Hates his job, but he was proven to be really good at it. And so the company continues to give him more money. They continue to promote him. He's at the top of his game. But what he basically was trying to do was he felt compelled to try and find his passion, which was for food and wine and Mm. sort of Epicurean types of pleasures. And he said, okay, great. I'm going to find my passion and I'm going to go build a publication and a magazine out of a foodie magazine. Yeah. And so he tries to tried to build this foodie magazine for a number of years and could never get it off the ground. And so here's the thing. Both 
Mike and my friend who worked for the entertainment business, they had passion, but neither one of them had love. Neither one of them could find love. And the key is to understand that passion is strong. It's a, it's a, you can't contain it. You can't control it. I mean, the word itself comes from, you know, to suffer or Mm. to endure. Um, And so it's this longing desire. So it cannot persist. It cannot last. It always ends. And that's not to say that it can't be fun and it can't be rewarding. But if you never find what psychologists call compassionate love for your job, you'll always confuse the form of what it is you're doing for the function of what it is you do. So in Beth's example, my friend who worked for the entertainment company, she was mistaking passion for the brands that she was working for for the love of creating content. And once she found out that she really, her love, what gave her the most satisfaction and meaning in her life was creating content that impacted people. Well, then she found love by literally going to another job that basically put her as in charge of brand journalism for a financial services brand, typically boring content, Yeah. but she found the love there, right? She got to impact people with her content and that was much more yeah. you know found found love than than the passion that she was doing and then my friend mike on the other side he said he discovered that he didn't want it. he had passion for building a business around this idea of a foodie magazine but he didn't have love for it and so once he discovered that i can rearchitect my job with this software company and yeah not love it but basically love the company for what it gives me, which is the ability to create my foodie magazine that doesn't have to be a profitable business. Right. It doesn't have to be, you know, a an ongoing concern. It doesn't have to be my career. It can just be something that I love doing. So he puts all of his love energy into this foodie magazine and blog that he does. And yes, the, and he loves the company because it gives him the ability to do that because it's not, you know, he's, he's not passionate about that that company. And so... That's the real key is when we want to find love. And what I found so interesting with the the content marketing survey this year was when we asked if you love what you do, a lot of them said really no. They basically, they like what they do. They are doing meaningful work. But then when we asked if they were ready to leave, most of them were ready to leave. When we said, why are you ready to leave? And it's because they're looking for something they're looking for something they're not getting and so what is that thing right what is the and and to me it's love you're looking for love because and the interest and this was the fascinating part of the data because when we looked at the data when we said what do you want to do in other words what do you want from your job to content marketers specifically yeah and they said in order doing meaningful work great co-worker relationships recognition for my work um, and and those were the top three things. And then professional development opportunities were sixth on the list, like way down the list. More money and more development opportunities was way down the list. So what do people want? They want love in content marketing. And so thinking about that and where you can get that love and not mistake it for passion is an incredibly important thing to do. So as people are going to content marketing world, they're thinking about their jobs at the end of the year. I want them to just think about What is it that you love to do versus what do you think is passion? And make sure you're not mistaking passion for love. I love that. I love that. And I also also like the story, the part of the story where you're saying that the the gentleman that worked for the boring software company um, found found a love 
for his day job. Um, because they, you know, there's all this bollocks about how you're supposed yeah, to. Yeah, he never found love for the job, but what he found yeah. love for was the, the company, company because yeah, it enabled him to have absolutely. the ability to have love for the thing that he loved yeah. to do, which was create content and create this and have these experiences that he could then write about and yeah, express in his blog yeah. and, and, you know, these Epicurean experiences. And he yeah. loved to do that. He just had no passion or love for trying to make that a business. And he mistook that passion yeah. that he had for the love of the thing that he really loves to do, the function of what it is yeah. he loves to do. And so you can you can have it both ways. You can have your cake and eat it too. Yeah, no, I like that. And I like that, um, yeah, I just, I just like, I like it because, you know, there's, there's so much, uh, there's so much talked about, about how you're supposed to follow your passion and you're supposed to be passionate and you'll never work a day in your life and all that kind of crap. But most of us have to work, right? And the way that he cut, he changed the lens on his day to day, which must have made it way more bearable to do it, right? And, and then took the pressure off himself for his passion and made getting up in the morning way more pleasant, I would imagine, if he then found the love for the company. I think that's fantastic. I mean, both yeah. stories are great, but I, I think that's really interesting. Um, and, and, and changing that, changing, ch just changing that lens. But why do you think it is that in the survey, so many of the people that you, that the Content Marketing Institute talked to were kind of ready to leave? Do you think it's unique to people in content marketing them quite found their place or do you think it's the market? It is the unique. Yeah. Well, I mean, the data show that it's, that it's, that it's actually unique. Um, I don't know if it's unique, but it's yeah. certainly different than most the Gallup did a research that said that uh, 56 people, 56% of employees were unengaged at work. Right. Yeah. Um, and what they've, what this, what we found was, is that, content marketers, 52% of them are engaged at work. In other words, they like what they right. do. Right. But then you go, okay, well, how does that square with them all being <laughs> so ready to leave? Yeah. My own take on that is because they don't see a place for themselves. Mm -hmm. In other words, and and we've talked about this on this show yeah, before, yeah. but you know, when we talked about career pathing, yeah. which was, you know, they don't see a place for them to move. They don't see a place for them to evolve. And and so what ends up happening is, is that they, they feel like they've reached a dead end in the company mm -hmm. that they're with. Mm -hmm. And so they're more than willing to look at different opportunities uh, in other, in different companies or different places or different, even different career paths, mm -hmm. because they've realized that they've run into a proverbial dead end. There's, mm -hmm. there's no place for them to go. Mm. Yes. So and what, so that's the opportunity for businesses, right? Yeah, yeah. Is to create some place for them to go. Exactly. That's what um, I was going to get to. So what's the advice you're giving to organizations right now? You because you're hearing this, right? So when you're talking to executives who are running marketing teams and running running content marketing teams or the CEO or CMO or whatever, the high level folks in these businesses, but you know that that you you're hearing the grumbling of what's happening really on the shop floor, right, through the research. Um, what what advice are you giving to senior marketing leaders right now around that stuff? Well, it's 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 similar to something that we talked about last week on yeah. the show, which is this idea of how the roles and responsibilities of content marketing are becoming more marketing like, right? Yeah. And so, what ends up happening is is that in so many businesses, we are we are matriculating the classic marketers into leadership positions because mm -hmm. simply because they had the classic marketing resumes on their you know on on their on on their CVs 
And what we're not doing is we're not looking at the content marketers as, uh, you know, we still see it as a separate thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so it ends up being like, oh, as these marketers assume more and more of these content marketing types of activities and roles, well, there's got to be someplace to go. In other words, you know, what we're doing is we're saying, okay, once you reach VP, you stop thinking about content marketing, right? You only think about product or you only think about advertising or you only think about PR and the classic definitions of all of those things. And so the content marketer looks at that and goes, well, that's not what I want to do for a living. I want to do what I'm doing now, but I want to do it bigger and better and for more people and, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And they're finding that very difficult because those roles and the leadership positions are are misapplied yeah. to classic responsibilities. So you've so what I'm advising those leaders in those organizations to do is redefine those middle management and leadership roles in the organization to include the strategy and function of content as a core piece of that because that is marketing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. All right. So when people are looking for content that is marketing and is content marketing, where might they find that, Robert? Well, they're going to find it in a couple of places. Um, One will be our brand new, interesting, wonderful little website called Um, contentmarketingstrategy.com. And that will be our new, uh, it's the, it's the website for the book, but nice. it's a place to go beyond the book where we're building a little community and we're building a little bit of, uh, some content in there and there's some access to coaching and resources. So lots of, lots of fun stuff there. Um, and then of course that's tied closely to our own website, which is contentadvisory.net. Cool. Well, that's an exclusive that I was not aware of. So that's content strategy. Contentmarketingstrategy.com. Content marketing, just the just like the name of the book. Splendid, and um, and the book uh, is uh, already was already out in the UK, but um, as we uh, as this is as we day- as we record this, it's probably available. Yes, on your favorite bookstores, um, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever you like to buy your books. There nice. you go. Excellent. And uh, when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? They're going to find me um, on, you know, certainly these days, a lot on contentmarketingstrategy.com. They'll also find me on uh, LinkedIn, where I'm doing, all, of course, all my social media, hashtag all the social media things, and would certainly love to connect with anybody there. Splendid. And next week, uh, I don't know, are we going to do, are we going to talk about your book in the bar, or should we just talk about your book? I'll let you out of the bar and let you into the regular part of the show. What do you think? Well, why not do it in the bar, but make it a whole, I mean, let's just, let's have a couple of drinks. Yeah. <laughs> Splendid. And yes, yeah, so uh, listeners will be, will be diving into Robert's book next week. And I'm really looking forward to that. And I'll be seeing you then in the bar then, Robert. Cheers. All right, mate. I'll see you then. Thank you, Robert. And if you're at Content Marketing World, please say hello. So that's a wrap on episode 184 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks to Matthew and Robert for sharing their insights and to you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and driving along with us. You can find all of our links and the things we discuss in the show notes on rockstarcmo.com along with our blog, newsletter and all of our previous episodes. And please let us know what you think via the socials. Drop us a rating or review in your favourite podcast app or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here.
Next week, I'll have a special episode where we'll dive into Robert's book, Content Marketing Strategy, and I'll hope you join us again next week for that on Rockstar CMO FM. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.